1: this January at the Coliseum, we, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions.
3: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek Ciappala, soon to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend. Norm Hightower, as we take a look at Two more teams in our tour around the league. Okay, before we even get there, folks, iTunes. If you listen to the show, if you like what we do, we could really appreciate. Be really great to have a five-star review on iTunes. We still have that contest going on where you can earn yourself a fifty-dollar gift certificate to nflshop.com just for giving us that wonderful review. Only do it if we earned it, and I hope we have. Also. You can subscribe there. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM. And don't forget, we're also on iebeatradio.com. They air our shows Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Also, appearing today on our tour in the league is Joe Kuzma from Steelers Underground to look at the various things going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ken McCusick from Russell Street Report, who does fantastic work covering the Baltimore Ravens. Before we get started, though, we want to thank one of our sponsors that makes our show possible. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. So, if you want to learn more about Rams history with a bit of a personal touch, check out Jim Hawks' Hollywood team, Great Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman from 1953 to 1957 for our wonderful Rams. As we approach Father's Day, check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Chris Hirsch, Tom Theers, Les Richter, all in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at Hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at team. It's available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Also, hey, don't forget you can find this book anywhere else on the internet, Folks, I've read this book cover to cover. It's worth every penny for all you Rams fans out there. It's a great story about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. It's a great story about football. Trust me, check it out. Hollywood's team, Grit Glam the 1950s, L.A. Rams, Los Angeles Rams, by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, we're here with Joe Kuzma from SteelCityUnderground.com. Joe, thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, Derek. Thanks for having me on. It's the first time I have with a fellow Youngstown boy. It's a little weird to me, especially since yeah. we're on you know, different sides <laughs> of the aisle here.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I have no ill will towards any Rams uh, fans or their football team. And you know what? In fact, as far as, um, you know, NFC teams are concerned, we were kind of uh, internally pulling for you guys last year. So uh, a lot of fantasy football fans of uh, Todd Gurley on our end. So, so yeah.
3: that's well. I mean, how could you then not cheer for him then? Hey, you know, and this year it should be interesting too.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it should. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to cross paths necessarily. Uh, I thought the defense, uh, with you guys, with Wade Phillips, uh, I've always wondered why anyone would fire Wade Phillips, uh, you see what he did with the Texans and the Broncos before he came to the Rams, and now what he's doing with the Rams. You know, uh, adding in Dama Kong-Soo, that could be really good or really bad, and I think you have an Aaron Donald thing going on there, kind of like we got with Le'Veon Bell, but we're going to talk about that today, right?
3: Yeah, we are. We are. That's okay. all, my, it's
4: all my questions. <laughs>
3: it's all my, well, one thing, too, just to note, you know, we, there is one thing we do share in our history of Super Bowl 14. It was actually uh, a game that was much closer in the final score, a lot of uh, – a lot of good memories and, of course, a couple of really bad memories for us for Rams fans. But that was a heck of a, heck of a Super Bowl. It,
4: yeah, that's uh, kind of ancient history for myself, maybe even yourself. You know, that's uh, before I was born. Um, I don't try and lay claim to the 70s or anything like that. But it's, it's nice to know that the Steelers were on the winning end of that. Uh, most of the modern era is, you know, for me, probably 90s on. I, I missed the terrible 80s for the Steelers, which is probably a good thing.
3: Well, it was only terrible until about uh, 1989. Yeah,
4: they started to turn it around, you know. They get Rod Woodson and all that. But right at the end of the Chuck Knoll uh, tenure there, I I don't like to say Chuck Knoll era. Chuck Knoll era to me is probably through the early 80s when they were still relevant. And then they just kind of, you know, the wheels fell off until uh, Bill Cowher took over and then Blitzberg in the 90s. And they really haven't looked back or been very bad since, which... uh, I call out our fan base quite a bit for being spoiled.
3: Well, as a guy whose team missed the playoffs for, I think it was, 14 years in a row, (laughs) I could say, yeah, you're a little spoiled. (laughs) Just a little. Not too badly, but a little spoiled. You're not Patriots fans or anything.
4: Yeah, it's not like the Steelers moved from Pittsburgh to somewhere either, so that makes it a lot easier, I imagine.
3: So here we go. The questions I have for you. I, I have, you know, right away, you guys have had a lot of stories going on going back to last season. Um, but the first one really is Ryan Shazier. We saw him walk across the stage of the draft. What's the update on his health and how's he doing overall? Wow.
4: Uh, I wish I was a uh, a doctor or someone in a medical profession. And even if I, I think if I was, I couldn't give uh, a proper diagnosis. As far as his update, I mean, he's been rehabbing, but he's already placed on injured reserve. There was an, out, an announcement well in advance of that stating that he would not participate during the 2018 season. Now, they made that announcement, and you think, well, now that you could uh, designate not only one player, but now you have the ability to maybe grab an extra player off injury reserve, and it's it's not such a valuable thing. Let's say you lose somebody uh, to a six to eight week injury, and they're temporarily on an injury reserve. That happened two years ago with uh, our outside linebacker Bud Dupree. Uh, it, they come back in the middle or or toward you know before the season's finished if that injury happens relatively early in the season. Um, this thing with Ryan Chazier, I mean. You said he walked across the stage. I mean, it, it really moves you. It was very emotional to watch because you could tell he's still struggling. And being a guy who had a herniated disc in my back, not not like a spinal cord injury or anything to the severity of where Ryan Chazier is. I understand what it took just to come back from, you know, months of that and not being able to even walk with the aid of a shopping cart around Target I don't know. I don't know how. Um, What we really want to see is we don't want to necessarily the how Ryan Shazier returns to football. I just want to see Ryan Shazier return to, you know, good health, uh, he's been in good spirits. He's around the team. He's there with their OTAs that are currently going on. He's been involved with the organization. This, this was like a contract year the Steelers already gave him. They, they converted uh, his salary for his fifth-year option on his rookie contract to a bonus, and he's, he's paid. It's like $8 million. I mean, that's a pretty stand-up thing the Steelers did there. But uh, if he returns, I mean, it'll be uh, nothing short of a miracle from what people were saying on the onset of his injury. I just want to make sure he's healthy when he returns and that there's no risk maybe for further injury. I I would hate to see him paralyzed or worse. I think that's what most of Steelers Nation feels from him. If he were able to return and even be a fraction of the player he were, anything like that, it would be it'd be like a fairy tale story. It really would. So for right now, for those of you maybe listening that are Rams fans and not plugged into into Steelers, you know, every day like myself and some of the others here, we call SCU Steel City Underground. Just as far as Ryan here. don't expect anything major in 2018. And um, I I mean, you could cross your fingers or whatever, but I wouldn't hold my breath beyond that either. It's just a wait-and-see type process.
3: Now, also other players going on here. Le'Veon Bell, what's the situation with him? And I I, I get the sense that he's short for the Steelers at this point, is that the case?
4: Le'Veon Bell, I think, likes to drum up some controversy to help push his uh, music career. Because it seems like every time he has a a rap song or a single that that he puts out there, it, it, it just stirs the pot, and mm-hmm. it gets people talking. And there's a there's a quote you know that's out there, a cliche, that controversy creates cash. and I think that's part of the Le'Veon Bell thing. In short, and we've discussed this ad nauseum on our site and on our own uh, podcast, $17 million is what's been floated out there for Le'Veon Bell. And that's tough for me. I'm, I'm at a position where I'm on a coin flip on Le'Veon Bell. He's a great player. Now, when you take all of the other running backs in the league, that's more. In fact, his franchise tag is practically right now more than double anyone else. The second highest paid player is LaShawn McCoy. You see some of the contracts that happened recently, like Devontae Freeman. Now, I think some of that's going to change when a guy like like your own, Todd Gurley, is up for a contract or Ezekiel Elliott. I think some of these guys are going to start nudging back into the double digit uh, million dollar salaries that have. You know, eluded running backs for five, six years since Adrian Peterson was the last one to break the mark. Le'Veon Bell, whether or not he's worth it, is very difficult because you have a Steelers team that typically builds through the draft and they usually pay and retain their own players, such as Orion Shazier, if he were to be healthy, would be looking for a new contract right now. And you got to find ways to fit these guys all under the salary cap and not lose a major player. Le'Veon Bell comes with a little bit of baggage, and I've been a big defender of the you know the ins and outs of the nuances of his suspensions and whether or not it was his fault, and somehow he gets them to reduce it and come to these different terms that nobody else gets. So there's something else going on there at the NFL and et cetera, et cetera. But it's still there. And that's something you got to be thinking about long term. Now he's been he hasn't been in any trouble. The most trouble that he could be accused of is sitting out, and this is basically the biggest weapon that any player has to use against the team. You, you see it happen. Marshawn Lynch did it with the, several Seahawks did it. Uh, former Steelers have done it. Rod Woodson did it. I think uh, Alan Fanica is another guy that may come to mind when you're thinking of like Hall of Fame players. Uh, there was disputes with Franco Harris back in the day, and. He didn't finish his his career in Pittsburgh. He played an extra year with the Saints, I believe. Saints or Seahawks? Now, it's, uh, you know, what I'm getting confused which team he went to because there was somebody else I was thinking of, too, and I just lost my train of thought. But anyway, it's not uncommon for players to do this. Uh, as fans, we ask ourselves why. And as far as a running back, I could see Bell, hey, he wants a cash in. He has more touches than anybody else. He's, you know... a a multi, uh, what do you want to say, faceted weapon. He's in every down back, which is rare in today's NFL. Uh, Very few teams uh, use just one running back. I know I'm talking to somebody that has Todd Gurley on their roster, but you look at like the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, and they have three or four guys deep that all get touches during their games uh, during the 2017 season and probably will in 2018. A lot of stuff is by committee, and it's kind of devalued the running back. To where, hey, Bell was taken in the second round He was like the third running back Taken in the year he was drafted I believe back in 2013 And, but he's Rarely never been Either hurt or suspended He's missed some games He has a lot of mileage on him and you look on the backside of you know his career and where running backs start to decline, age, amount of carries, things like that. You see his yards per carry were down last year, and he's behind a world-class NFL uh, offensive line. I don't know. It's very difficult to say we're going to put all this money in one player when you might be able to get a few role players, maybe guys that aren't household pro bowl, all pro names like Stefan Tuitt a contract. And Alejandro Villanueva, you're talking about a defensive end there, a left tackle, players like that. And they already have kind of a platoon in place. They drafted James Conner last year. Uh, They brought back Stephen Ridley, who's a veteran on a one-year deal. Uh, They have another gentleman by the name of Fitzgerald Toussaint, who's actually seen a a lot of starting action when Bell was hurt. And D'Angelo Williams, who was the former backup, was hurt a few seasons ago as well. And uh, they also drafted someone in the fifth round that's kind of a multi-purpose offensive weapon uh uh from nc state his name is jalen samuels so they they have a handful of guys that are going to get a lot of looks in camp while bell sits out and the steelers are going to know what they have moving forward but there is a deadline coming up if they don't get a deal done it's still going to be the one year franchise tag bell probably won't sign until camp in the preseason's over he's going to relax and then we're going to see how it goes so there's all the drama and the nuances there, and and I'm kind of like, "Hey, if he stays great, he's a, he's a great player. he's going to cost a lot of money. And if he goes, I'm going to say, "Well, I don't know what's going to happen with his future. It would have cost a lot of money. They could now spend on someone
3: else. Well, I would think to the fact that the sewers they they pay in inside the inside the house. They, they, like you said, they they pay the guys they draft. And because of that, though, just looking at their salary cap numbers here, they're usually pretty close. And they're never like $40 on a salary cap. Never. No. And so I just don't see how they can keep him if he wants that much money. I just don't see it.
4: Uh, You know, he's already kind of figured into everything. But moving forward, yeah, that's where you start to – you get a guy like they traded for Vance McDonald uh, – tight end formerly of the san francisco 49ers they got him after training camp last year they signed a guy uh joe hayden cornerback uh, former all pro with the cleveland browns they got him too those are the type of decisions where you now have to start making a uh, uh, you know, choices as to who stays and who goes. And that's kind of what I was referring to with that. I'm sure the Steelers made a generous offer. I believe it has to deal with the guaranteed money. There's two things the Steelers don't do. They don't guarantee money. And what I mean by that is, is that usually they pay whatever the contract is, but they don't put it in the contract terms. So there's not going to be, you know, 40 million guaranteed over four years. They don't do that. It will be, the signing bonus and whatever else in that first year that's front loaded. And that's basically all it's going to be written in as your guaranteed money is the bonus, the signing bonus. Uh, They kick some of that ahead. Sometimes they've done that with the Antonio Brown. Another thing that the Steelers don't do is overpay. And I mentioned, you know, Rod Woodson leaving town. There was uh, another great defender talking about the late eighties, Mike Merriweather who sat out an entire year And that's who I was trying to think of. Uh, I believe he went to the Minnesota Vikings and got a payday Mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, Of course, Mike Wallace is a guy who sat out and they decided to give the contract to Antonio Brown several years ago. There's some guys who leave you just can't afford because of so many players that you have. Emmanuel Sanders went to the Broncos. You're going to have those type of situations. But one thing they don't do is overpay. They, They had a big contract dispute with Alan Fanica back in the day, too. And it's just, it's business. It's the way the NFL is. Now, will somebody pay Le'Veon Bell 17 million dollars? If they have it, they might. But then you got to wonder. He might. He's going to be an upgrade for whatever that team is. But who else is he going to be playing with out there? You know what I mean? So, uh, it's tough. Like I said, I, I, in one way, I flip the coin. I say I want to keep this guy. The other way, I say, man, there's no way he could do it. So. I don't know. Seventeen million is tough. The best, uh, probably the best quote I heard was Charlie Casserly. I think was the one talking NFL Network. He was a former GM with the Redskins, and he had mentioned, not necessarily within the realm of the running backs, because when you look at it, and you're seventeen million. I think like the cap hit for LeSean McCoy is around eight million, maybe eight and a half. And you're like, how can you pay Levy on Bell that? Well, you got to look in the hierarchy of. Who's your best players on your team, and are you taking care of the guys who are the best players on your team regardless of position? What do they do? How do they perform? How do they produce for your team? And I think that's the argument where it makes it worth signing Le'Veon Bell, but then you look at a team, I think, what, the Eagles spent uh, just a few million total on, like, LeGarrette Blunt. Jay Ajayi who I think is still under a rookie contract and then they have uh is it Corey Clement and they had oh, Darren Sproles and they had Darren Sproles and you saw what they you saw what they were able to do on a shoestring budget there so uh, when you look at it that way it makes it very difficult uh, to picture a running back making 17 million dollars
3: also on the offensive front the long term quarterback situation in Pittsburgh is interesting. They they drafted Mason Rudolph third round immediately news hit the, the national wire with Big Ben saying that Rudolph will be sitting for a while. I'm paraphrasing there. So what is their mindset right now concerning post Ben?
4: Uh, their mindset is is that Ben could be a bit of a diva sometimes. Uh, ben <laughs> yeah, he you know, I, I think there was a lot more there with the whole Todd Haley. Era of the last five years of him being an offensive coordinator with the Steelers. Uh, Todd Haley, his father, I believe, used to be a scout or worked within the Steelers organization. So there was a bit of nepotism there where uh, the family ties came in and uh, afforded Todd Haley a job. Now, Bruce Arians goes on and he becomes like an interim head coach with the Colts and with the Cardinals and gets, you know, Coach of the Year awards and things of that nature. And uh, that made a lot of people upset in Pittsburgh, but the offenses weren't doing so hot when Bruce Arians was there either. It was all defense at that point, and they had those great defenses with lots of pro bowlers, you know, Troy Polamalu highlights and, uh, you know, James Harrison in his prime and, and that type of stuff. Uh, then that changed, and it became all offense. It became this killer bees thing. We're talking about Bell. You're talking about Ben. We haven't mentioned Antonio Brown yet, Martavis Bryant, who's now been traded to the Oakland Raiders and replaced. Um, you know, that's that was very exciting there, and Haley got some numbers, but I think it it, it didn't come without a price, and I think Ben – wasn't necessarily happy and you know he's the franchise quarterback he's the guy getting paid the most money on the team and you can't win in the league without a quarterback so guess which guy you're going to keep happy you're going to probably keep Ben happy and find someone else instead of Haley. So the quarterback's coach, Randy Fickner, is the one that's assuming the reins from Todd Haley now. And as soon as that happens, because if you recall, it was all retirement talk, which I think that Mm -hmm. and then the Mason Rudolph comments, which were both on the same local Pittsburgh radio station, by the way, with the same host, one who I feel is very anti-Pittsburgh sports, but you don't hear him admit it. But he likes to get those hot takes and, you know, get people a little riled up and be sensational. Uh, not Mark Madden, by the way, is another guy. Uh, Mark Madden's <laughs> nothing but shock jock. Um, but it, these guys did the same, same thing. He did the show. They lose to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. Ben, all of a sudden, is saying, you know, well, he's like, hey, you know what? I got to evaluate just like anybody else. And just like James Harrison, he's saying, because Harrison, like, took, a, 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 you know, this brief period of time to, go out to Arizona and train and see if he wanted to come back and play. And with Ben, he's using that as an example, talking about his family and everybody knows he's got young kids and his wife and, you know, he's in his mid thirties. He's been playing for a while and he's made a lot of money. And it sounds like you're going to retire. Well, I'm going to evaluate whatever. He didn't say he wasn't thinking retirement. And then he says, well, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not coming back, but they cut that line out. Well, if you're the Steelers organization and you hear this, what do you do? well, Last season, they draft a fourth round quarterback, Joshua Dobbs from Tennessee, to be a developmental type of guy. And I've been a big defender of our backup quarterback, Landry Jones, who's actually won some games. He's not going to be an NFL starter, but he is capable of filling in if someone's hurt or someone, you know, they take a rest week 17, something like that. He's won games. He's he's been sharp. He's been better. He used to be terrible. And it took him a while and they developed him into that. But, you know, he's not young anymore either. He's going to be entering like his seventh NFL season. And he's not the heir apparent. Obviously, obviously, he's an average quarterback, uh, even though I love him. Now you get Josh Dobbs and you've had a year of trying to develop him and had him, you know, in the quarterback rooms and practices and, you know, running a scout team or whatever else he's been asked to do. And you know what you've got there? And it's still looming over your head now that, you know, Roethlisberger, you know, he's like 36. Okay, he's the same age as me. There's a finite window here and I always say Ben could play three to five years, which was his quote now after Haley gets fired and after they draft a quarterback, they do their due diligence. They look at every position every year just in case there's someone there of value in the draft, which any of the NFL's 32 franchises should be doing. Not all of them do. Some stretch and you know they go for guys for need or they fall in love with that one player. The Steelers luckily tend to find a guy Uh, I don't know. Maybe sometimes their first round picks don't work out, but the second round pick is like, you love you on Bell. He was a second round pick, for example. You know what I mean? Those guys work out. Juju Smith-Schuster, second round pick. Those guys work out because they're doing their homework. Now, I was against drafting a quarterback. I was against it last year. I was against it this year because they're going to sit on the bench. You got a guy making like $20 million that holds almost all the franchise records, who's won two Super Bowls. It's going to be a Hall of Famer and Ben Roethlisberger. You're not going to want to force him out the door and create an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre type situation. I didn't want to use a first round pick on a quarterback. Seeing this quarterback class, there were a few guys that I was still iffy on. I don't think necessarily using a first round pick on a quarterback guarantees anyone's success. Uh, Lucky for you guys with Jared Goff, you changed coaches and changed fortunes in doing so because a lot of times coaches and quarterbacks are joined at the hip and then you're stuck and then the new guy comes in and they want to get rid of the other quarterback and get their own guy put in their own system and it and it it ruins these kids to be quite uh honest so in that regard the Steelers had their eyes on like Mason Rudolph apparently they had their eyes on Lamar Jackson too which I was very happy they passed on And of course, you know, within the AFC North, everyone drafted a quarterback this year because Baker Mayfield went to the Browns. Jackson went to the Ravens. The Bengals took a guy that was a few picks from Mr. Irrelevant and he'll probably be irrelevant. Uh, But third round, Mason Rudolph. I was excited about that because Jackson goes with the last pick of the first round and then a quarterback doesn't go until the Steelers move up. They, They leapfrog over the Bengals. By a few picks to be able to get Rudolph. I thought in the third round, that's a great pick. A lot of people had a first round grade on him. If he doesn't work out as a third round pick, so be it. They still have time here. There's a window. But you don't want to be thinking, what if? What if we, you know, we were in the third round and we could have moved up over Cincinnati but, to get Mason Rudolph, but we didn't. And then he goes somewhere else and he's successful. You'd be kicking yourself. So I thought this was a good move by the Steelers. I, I do believe that Ben will still play a few more years. This might light a fire under his butt because this might be a very competitive type thing. Rudolph's got a big arm. He's a big kind of body guy. He's very elusive as a quarterback from what I've seen in college. He throws a lot of passes under duress and is still highly accurate. It's a lot of similar traits to be able to carry that torch uh, if Ben should pass that along to Mason Rudolph. So Ben playing a few more years, if, 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 the Steelers were to be so fortunate as to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years They they should be a contender barring any type of disaster uh, for any reasons Uh, I think that's fair enough to say even to the most biased fans if you got some that are Steelers haters out there Uh, I I mean you got to admit I don't like the Patriots but I got to admit they should be a contender as long as Belichick and Brady are installed there so I feel that if Ben, Ben might go out on a high note, he might do the Jerome Bettis or the Peyton Manning type thing and, you know, take a bow as a Super Bowl champion. And then what does the team do? Because he's been talking. He was flirting with retirement. Now he wants to play. Well, which is it? Well, you know what? We can't wait. We're a business. We're an organization. We're we're a machine. that has got to keep on going. It's train got to keep on moving. So that's why they took Mason Rudolph. And, you know, I think you've got four years now where Rudolph will be under contract under his rookie contract I think that's plenty of time to find out who he is if he's Ben's successor and it's also enough time to let you know for Ben to decide how long do I still want to be doing this because he's going to be pushing 40 when it's time for Rudolph's contract to come up there's a controversy by that point we'll know if Ben still got it or not I think we'll have to deal with that there I'd hate to see him go but I think he's He's made comments that, you know, Tom Brady playing at like, what, 42 now? He's made comments on the radio before he has a weekly show uh, during the season. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't know how Brady's doing that. He doesn't think that's going to be him. He's joked about it. I really do believe that is Ben. He's not going to do it. So I think it's all a a much ado over nothing and and a good and a wise decision by the Steelers to take Rudolph this year.
3: All right. So that leads with our last question. Here you go. Did the Steelers do enough to catch New England or even Jacksonville this offseason? And where do they rank in the AFC overall?
4: I don't think their mentality is to catch New England. They honestly thought they were going to play New England, and so did everyone else. Um, Two defeats to the Jaguars at home. Very disappointing. I, I think a lot of that is, we were talking about Ryan Shazier. Ben had a horrible game week five. Uh, where he threw five interceptions, two of them were pick sixes. I mean, when you're giving up 14 points uh, like that, it doesn't all rest on the defense. The defense looked primed. Shazier went down. The backup for Ryan Shazier also went down. His name's Tyler Maticiewicz. He got hurt. He had a shoulder injury. So both guys were the – you had basically the quarterback of the defense and the backup quarterback. So they didn't have a third string really. <laughs> The guy they got was drafted by the Steelers. He was sitting on his couch when they called him in November to come in, and they were trying to use a platoon of players. They had they had another uh, gentleman, L.J. Ford, who was an undrafted, uh, on and off the practice squad, off the active 53-type player. And then uh, Arthur Motes, who was not seeing any time at an outside linebacker, try his hand at inside linebacker as well in the 3-4, and none of them could really do the job. That's what the Jacksonville Jaguars exploited in the uh, divisional round game where the Steelers lost. It was just a you know it was a dogfight, and you can see what the Steelers offense could put up. So uh, I think I don't think the Steelers are really looking to catch Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville has enough problems with their own, uh, in their own division. If Andrew Luck's back with the Colts, uh, you have the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Texans with a healthy Deshaun Watson. That's a, a, and also a healthy former defensive MVP, two time right with J.J. Watt. They got a lot of problems just trying to make it back to the playoffs within their own division, their own path. Whereas I think the Steelers, I think the Ravens are kind of in turmoil. The Browns are always kind of the Browns. Uh, the, the Bengals have been a, getting a little long in the tooth on defense. I think they had a pretty solid draft, actually. Uh, but you know what? They still haven't won a playoff game in like 25 years or something. It's been since like the 90s. And uh, so... I think as far as that, the Steelers should still be contending with the Patriots maybe for one of those buys. They'll get one of those spots maybe by winning the division. Whether they catch the Patriots or not is – I really thought the Patriots were down on their luck last year. I thought they got lucky. I thought they got really lucky playing the Jaguars. I thought there were several games where they probably shouldn't have been seated where they were based on replay calls. Uh, uh, we know the Jesse caught it, the Jesse James catch-no-catch thing with the Steelers. Uh, that's a sore spot with me, but you had something similar when they played the Bills. They ended up beating the Bills, but the Bills would have been up at halftime at Momentum, momentum, the way the game's called, the plays are called. All that changes depending on the scoreboard, obviously, and the time left on the on the scoreboard. That kind of killed their momentum. But there was one where Austin Safarian Jenkins, it was like a touchdown, but he bobbled it over the pylon, and then they ended up calling it a touchback. And somehow a touchdown becomes the Patriots – a Jets touchdown becomes the Patriots ball. And New England wins that game by seven points. They beat the Texans, as I already mentioned. Um, a very similar Jesse caught it situation with Brandon Cooks last year on a deep pass – and you know what? It was a touchdown. So I'm not really sure so much that they need to catch anybody. They just need to play their game and maybe have some of that luck come in their direction.
3: All right. Well, that's all we really want. Wow, that's a long conversation, good information, lots of information out there. That some I wasn't expecting some of that here. And I, and I live here in, in <laughs> round/ slash Steelers country now. All right. So, Joe, let people know where they can find you. We got you on Twitter at Joe underscore Kuzma. What about what about still seeing underground?
4: Yeah, Joe underscore Kuzma is my personal. I, I talk craft beer and, and you know, being in Northeast Ohio, uh, we're between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, so all Pittsburgh sports, but a dash of the Indians and of course the Cavs. Cavs and four. I don't mean that seriously, but I keep saying it. Uh, I'm trying <laughs> to will it, and and then. Um, Steel City Underground, if you're interested, uh, we have our, our website, steelcityunderground.com. We have a podcast. Uh, it, it's all geared towards Steelers. Sometimes we have some NFL, kind of general general NFL news, too. The Twitter for that, since that name is so long, is missing a few vowels. So it's Steel City under is the way I like to say it. It's uh, Steel City, UNDRGR, which. That doesn't sound so bad. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and all the other fun stuff, too. So uh, feel free to check us out. And thanks for having me, Derek.
3: Oh, thank you. And, Joe, you know, you realize next year the Rams play Pittsburgh. I believe in Pittsburgh. Am I wrong?
4: It, um, I have to look. I mean, you could pretty much figure this stuff out a few years in advance. And I'll yeah. – I'm barely on this schedule.
3: <laughs> well, they play Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, and it's the 40 year anniversary of that Super Bowl. I think we should get together and have a podcast live to preview that game. We're local. Oh. Now.
4: Yeah, you know, that that would be great. Um, I think the last time the Rams played the Steelers, ooh, we actually sat Ben Roethlisberger for Charlie Batch because they pretty much had it in the bag and weren't worried about the Rams back then. So, but yeah, uh, things should be interesting, you know, going forward on paper. You'd like to think both teams would be competitive and that would be uh, some must-watch uh, television going into what twenty nineteen? You gotta hope.
3: Twenty nineteen. So, it'll be forty yeah. anniversary of that big Super Bowl.
4: Yeah, that's that sounds sounds really good to me. In fact that's kind of uh I think what they were geared on those throwback jerseys for that they just unveiled too mm-hmm. was a throwback to that. Uh, Super Bowl uh, year or era?
3: It was Super Bowl 13 for this year, right? And then Super Bowl 14. Yeah, we've been the same yep. uniforms, wouldn't it?
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, it is because yeah. they, like I said, they didn't change them in almost 60 years. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Well, Joe, thanks for so- thanks so much for coming on. It was a great conversation, and we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Right. You take care. Moving on, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, our original sponsor, that is Sal Martinez in the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in Orange County. And like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. And he kept the lights on ever since. That's what he's done. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS, 714-894-RAMS, or... 7267 there. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows we sent you and also to get a discount on the already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it. Just enjoy the atmosphere, the Rams memorabilia, but it's also this old-school experience where you can talk football, and it's just you. It's just you and Mr. Martinez. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Hey, Sal even managed to make my blockhead and Norman's funky-looking head look, well, almost normal. Just saying, almost normal. All right, we're here with Kemi Cusick from RussellStreetReport.com. He's especially known for his film work, hence his at Film Studies Ravens, Film Study Ravens, Twitter handle. Ken, thanks for joining us. How are you?
5: Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. All
3: right, so we'll just jump right into it. Ken, what was the Ravens mentality going after Lamar Jackson in the draft, and what have you seen on Jackson in your film work that is either encouraging or discouraging?
5: Uh, Lots of stuff encouraging and discouraging, I guess. Accuracy will be a question. Uh, Whether or not he leaves the pocket too quickly could be a question, but... He's shown some ability at the college level to stay in the pocket, to progress through reads, which is something good and something honestly Flacco's been criticized for in the past. And uh, accuracy, I think, is really going to be the question. The outside in the in the NFL level at camp today, I saw something really encouraging: is that he's attempting to manipulate the defenders, even in seven-on-seven drills, to try and come after him so that he can release a pass. So he has some of that in him, and uh, and that's good to see.
6: With them bringing in Jackson, what's, you know, what's that going to do with Joe Flacco? Are the Ravens that dissatisfied with him? Did they make a mistake by signing him into a huge contract after their last Super Bowl victory?
5: I mean, if, if you went back and could change it, you'd probably just keep Tyrod Taylor. And I think the Ravens you know, might, might, might rather not say that, but that's probably the way they would honestly approach it. Tyrod's been not bad over that period of time, and Joe's been, been somewhat bad over that period of time. Uh, Joe did have a great 2014 and led him to the playoffs that year. Uh, So there has been value from this. Tyrod might have done more with him in terms of playoff appearances. Uh, if If you're looking at where they are going right now with Flacco, I mean, I think that the decision probably means the handwriting is on the wall for him, whether it's in 2019 or in 2018. And I could see circumstances where he loses his job in 2018, if uh, the Ravens don't play well, if he doesn't play well, or even if the, uh, if the team goes on some sort of a losing streak that eliminates them and they make an organizational decision that, hey, we're going to give Jackson a little opportunity early. And then at the end of 2018, they have the ability to cut Joe Flacco and spread the cap cost over two years at $8 million twice. And this is the first time it's really dropped into the affordable range. It'd be $28 million in dead money to cut him this year. I mean, it's been, it's been all these years. Uh, Joe Flacco had a great Super Bowl run. He, he, got, he, he did it at exactly the right time in his own history to get the biggest contract possible. You know, was it a mistake? It, it turned out that he did not play up to the contract. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I don't think it really matters at this point. It only matters, you know, going forward, what do you do?
3: So what's happening on film that you can see that's so, well, wrong with his game right now?
5: Um, he's, he doesn't have the kind of mobility. A lot of other quarterbacks do coming off the, the knee injury and a back injury that he suffered prior to last year. He's had problems moving around, uh, that limits what he can do. And it means he's, he's tried to get rid of the ball a little quicker, which I think is part of what's reduced his yards per, uh, attempt number. So his, his completion rates are in the, at the highest levels they've been, but it's a lot of short completions and. And he, he gets rid of the ball uh, up there with the top quarterbacks in the game. That's It's not necessarily a good thing. Holding the ball for a long time can be you're extending plays and, and giving your receivers a chance to break away and, and the, the defense a chance to break down. And Flacco gets rid of the ball as fast as just about anybody in the league. And there is one surprising guy ahead of him was Derek Carr in terms of getting rid of the ball quickly. But most of the list is as you would expect that uh, um, the, the bigger, more stationary a quarterback you are, the more likely you are to get rid of the rid of the ball quickly.
6: Well, the Ravens revamped their receiving core during free agency. How confident are you with that group, and can they produce?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because they just did the same thing effectively last year. So they're getting three new older guys to come in and be the the heart and soul of the of the offense. Now Willie Sneed is not that old, uh, but John Brown and uh, who's had a couple of bad years in a row after after a pretty good year at Arizona in 2015 and uh michael crabtree has had some declining production over the last few years their guys i think you can see positives in their game i did a i did a big analysis of crabtree that's out there on the website if people want to look at it that's on russell street report uh, if you look for film study and it really goes through every one of his targets for the year and shows where he, where it was and whatnot uh he's an interesting receiver i think his catch rate was held down last year because he was Derek carr's bailout guy so carr would run around the pocket he'd get in trouble and then all, when all other options failed, he'd throw it to Crabtree, who was covered one-on-one, and hope that Crabtree would make a play for him. And he was the best receiver suited to that. But it definitely created a lot of contested catch opportunities for Crabtree that reduced his catch rate.
3: Also, the offensive line, I, I, you, you mentioned that you guys are, well, that you are a film guy, a film say guy, mm-hmm. especially focusing on the offensive line. Has the offensive line been solid enough for him? Or are, you, are you confident you this year? What are you seeing there?
5: I don't, think the, I don't think the problem is really with the offensive line. It's an extremely well-coached unit, which is the Ravens' mm-hmm. biggest strength on the offensive line. They have a good left tackle in Ronnie Stanley, and they have a really good right guard in Marshall Yandu, who's probably the best offensive lineman in the game when healthy. But it's now he, he missed most of last year after, after a terrific one-and-a-half-game start to the year. Uh, the Ravens made do with very little on the offensive line last year. They made a star out of Ryan Jensen, and he went off and got signed to a big contract. Uh, they made do with Austin Howard at right tackle, a guy with very limited mobility. And then both guard positions were kind of weak last year, but they each contributed in some way. So Metzcura is a good, what I call pick thrower, meaning he's not a he's not a bulldozer. He doesn't move people, but he but he does a good job of of taking the back end of a combination block. If you understand what I'm saying, that where two guys block one at the line of scrimmage, then he can hold that block, and the other guy releases into level two. And the, the big surprise was Matt, uh, uh, James Hurst, who had been a uh, very poor offensive tackle, all of a sudden had a decent year at guard. And a lot of what he did, he's not an earth mover either, but he turned out to be much more mobile than expected. And he was very effective pulling last year. And the Ravens have a good power run game uh, this year with Yanda back on the right side and Hurst back at left guard, I think. And I think that's the way it's going to end up shaking out. Should have some real value. And Alex Collins, of course, had a big year coming from Seattle. And, uh, and the Ravens have a couple guys uh, uh, you know, that they hope will also produce. Ken Dixon coming back from a suspension and uh, uh, Buck Allen, the USC back, who's uh, had some modest success during his career.
6: Well, the Ravens were really busy during the draft. What do you think their best and worst picks were?
5: Best and worst picks. It was a really exciting draft for the Ravens. I, I like the Orlando Brown pick in the third round. Originally, a lot of people had Orlando Brown, who's got terrific Ravens roots, because Zeus Brown played for the, for the Ravens, of course, um, and, and lived in Baltimore. Um, but he, he uh, was drafted in the third round, number 83. A lot of people had him going number 16 to the Ravens. Then he had a, a historically bad combine. Just 14 reps at 225 for a lineman. A bunch of other bad numbers that just you know were not NFL quality combine numbers, but if you, I, you look at the film, and I took a, a while to do this, at the uh, times he played NFL caliber defenses in 2017, and the big one was the Ohio State game in week two, uh, he did very well, and against players like Nick Bosa, who's Joey's younger brother and might go number one in this next draft, against four other guys who were all drafted between number 64 and number 102 in the 2018 draft. So I'd argue he's already had some of that NFL-level competition. There's no question, by the way, about how effective he was at the college level or how effective he even was in that game. Uh, it, it's all a question of, does this make any sense relative to his, his in-shapeness numbers? The guy, when you listen to him, it's a, it's, a, it's a plus and a minus, has a tremendous football IQ and understanding of the history of the game very impressive I mean he talks about he talks about all these players that go way back in time you know a guy, a guy he really models his game over is Jackie Slater but he talks about not having seen Dan Deerdorf play well I mean what number of NFL players could even tell you who Dan Deerdorf is today I mean Dan has been even out of broadcasting for a couple of years but the, most people don't even know he was a right tackle or a left tackle in the in the NFL and uh, and they'd have a very difficult time uh, you know explaining who he was in those terms but anyway Uh, very high football IQ understands the game. Uh, the question is whether or not, uh, he's going to be able to use his length as effectively at right tackle, or if he needs to be more of a power player. And that's where I think, uh, his success in the NFL will, will come. So that's the pick I probably like the best. I also like Deshaun Elliott, the safety in the sixth round in terms of, of picks that I'm not all that crazy about. I'm not crazy about two receivers. They took in the middle of the draft. We'll see how they work out. Uh, Jordan Leslie and Jaleel Scott. Um, but those are the, those are the two. I think the universal feeling is that the Ravens got pretty good value on uh, Lamar Jackson dro- with him dropping to 32. But it's clear, Ozzie allowed the player to drop into his into his range in those terms because they had a pick at 25. They could have taken him there. They said no, and then they traded back into the first round to get him at number 32. I got one more point to make on the draft, and this is really the key one: is it's the player they didn't take that is probably their worst pick. And that's uh, Derwin James, who was available at number sixteen when they mm. when they when they had the pick, and he was the guy I wanted all night. I'm I'm like if Derwin James or Terrell Edmonds drops into the range, you want to pick either one of those. And uh, Terrell Edmonds is not the guy. Uh, the other Edmonds, uh, linebacker Virginia Tech. I've forgotten his first name, but anyway, at, both of them were still available at number sixteen. Uh, the guy they really could have used uh, more than anybody else is Derwin James to rebuild the the defense around him. They didn't take him instead they traded down twice and I just don't think they got enough value for it with uh, with what they got. So that's that's my big objection to the Ravens draft.
6: You were okay, talking one... about Jermaine Evans?
5: Yeah, that's the, Jermaine, yeah.
3: Yeah. See, one thing I want to back up on. You mentioned Dan Dierdorf. I do know somebody actually on this show who was there when Dan Dierdorf was born and yeah. that is Norm Hightower. He's that old. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you just you actually went there for me. I was going there next. You mentioned Darwin James. With the guys you have now, how confident are you in the Ravens defense? And you know, can I ask him because the unit did produce some solid dominant moments last year, but there were other times when something just wasn't right. What's going on with that defense?
5: I say it's an odd uh, inverted Ravens defense for a change because the, the thing the Ravens have done universally since the franchise began was stop the run. And the team had never allowed 4 yards per carry in a season until this last year. They so they allowed 4.0, as you'll see it, but if you, if you actually divide the numbers, it's 3.994 they allowed one year. But this, this was the first year they allowed four yards per carry. It was, it was 4.1 in, uh, in 2017. That's un-Ravens-like, and uh, it was part, in part due to injuries, but in part due to a weakness at the ILB2 position, the Will position next to, next to Mosley. So uh, they really have not addressed that, and I think the team needs a two-down thumper to kind of round out what they have defensively. They have done a lot of things most specifically with a new defensive coordinator to increase aggressiveness on defense that I think will improve the pass rush. And the secondary already from last year was very dominant. So not taking Derwin James, it would have been not a, it would have been a, not a need pick anyway. It just would have been the best value pick for the long term Cause I think he'll be a very good player. Um, and, and their, their, their secondary still is very good. They have, they have, Three or four safeties that I really like. In fact, they have six to choose from to make four right now. But there are four that I really like, and then they have uh, you know a number of corners. They're as deep at corner as they've ever been, and uh, Humphrey is is their best corner. They have Carr, the ex-Cowboy, still out there. Uh, he's very durable, but has not been terrifically good last year. He may or may not start. Tavon Young is back as the nickel corner. They have Anthony Averett, who was a fourth-round pick, who, who looks good. Maurice Kennedy, uh, who played last year really well on the slot, and I think will move to the outside. So they have a lot of options at corner um, that are good, and, and I think they're going to be able to, to, to pick quite a crew of defensive backs here. There's, they got 14 guys, effectively, to spill what fill what may be 10 or 11 spots. There'll be some tough cuts coming, and I think the Ravens are a team that other teams will look at to fill a need at defensive back at the end of camp.
6: Well, I'm a big Ozzy Newsom fan. What does Ozzy mean to the franchise? And how do you feel about his replacement? And do you think he's the right person for the job?
5: Okay, Ozzie is certainly beloved and, you know, been around the building forever. When I drive out to camp, he's often, you know, running outside of the, the, the camp area. So he just always seems to be present. And there's another, just a funny little camp story. He's allowed to sit down, but, but he's the only one who's allowed to sit down at Harbaugh's practice. Otherwise, if you're media or whoever, you have to stand the whole time. And anybody, if you start to sit down to do something immediately, one of the interns is over on you saying, I can't have you stay. I can't have you sitting. So anyway, Ozzy was allowed to, and he would, he would do that. And DaCosta, I I really like, he's a younger guy, obviously. And he's a Baltimore guy. uh, Now he married a Baltimore girl. And I think she's a doctor if I, if I recall correctly. So they're, they're tied into both of their careers and they, they want to stay in Baltimore, I think. And uh, he's accepted, uh, you know, a, a, tenure as an assistant GM that is much longer than would have normally happened he's been up for a lot of GM jobs the Packers uh, apparently wanted him this offseason and finally uh, you know they came to an agreement that, that, that Ozzie would step down And apparently that was the plan a year ago and this was Ozzie's last draft next year it'll be all DaCosta's baby and DaCosta has been their brains behind the small school scouting they've done He's in charge of scouting in general, but the thing the Ravens have really dominated is late rounds of draft picks, uh, late rounds because they're able to do great small school scouting, and Acosta and was really the guy for that. So I like, uh, the, I, I like the choice anyway.
3: All right, so here we go. Where do the Ravens finish in 2018, and where do you rank them in the AFC overall?
5: Okay, so I think they'll be in the wild card hunt. I think the Steelers are the are the likely division winners yet again. At some point, the, you know their play will drop off due to a significant injury or two. But but the right now they're certainly the team to beat in the division. The Browns are improving, uh, but I still don't see them being any better than about an eight and eight team. They have as as good talent as they have a few positions. I don't see them see them as the team that challenges. So I f- I'll take the Ravens at nine and seven on the on the fringe of the wild card hunt. And uh, you know maybe the sixth or seventh best team in the AFC.
6: We get to match up with you guys in the preseason, and we're going to scrimmage you before the game. So you know, any chance we can maybe get together while the scrimmage is going on, and and you know, do another podcast at that time?
5: Oh, sure, happy to do it. That'd be it's great. A, yeah, I, well, uh, we could have you on here on our on our show as well. I'd, uh, I I think that'd be fun to have. you know a post scrimmage podcast about who you saw on the rams you really liked and and you know talk about who we liked on the ravens
6: yeah i'll definitely be there at the scrimmage so maybe we can meet and have a cup of coffee or something as well
5: okay sounds good scrimmage is all all that is taking place in baltimore prior to the game
6: yep Yep. sure is and he's trying
3: to leave me out you hear that he's trying to cut me out of this whole thing okay so you're out you know he's just you know (laughs) You know he has a way of making me feel small. I'm not going to tolerate that crap, Norm. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right.
5: You're, so, you're not you're not making the investment to come to Baltimore. Is that what I'm hearing, Derek? Oh,
3: I am coming. I am. Coming. Oh, okay.
5: So sounds good, guys. I look forward um, to seeing you both.
3: All right. Great. So, folks, you can find Ken at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. Also, check out his work and the work of his of this fellow Ravens folks at RussellStreetReport.com. It's an opportunity to really uh, delve into. The AFC North, that bruising, bruising division out there that uh, we all love to beat up on. All right, thanks a lot, Ken.
5: Thanks. Right, take man. it easy, guys.
3: Okay, a word from our sponsors. It is summertime in Southern California, which means sun, hot weather, and visits to the pool. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling serves. Orange County and the Southland and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. Just head on over to JayhawkPools.com and take a look at their work. You can see the quality in their finishes and in the testimonies provided by past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and also help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in the area and you need work done, give Jayhawk Pool Plastering a call. You'll be glad you did. Well, that about does it for us here at Rams Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkRams or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We also have a group there as well. We do a lot more talking in there. You can find me on Twitter at Norm at Norm Hightower. Again, don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, all those places. For Norm Hightower, this is Derek C. Apollo. Take it easy.